Mahad, we got Zach on the line. What do you want to ask him? Investing in multifamily in uh, 2022 has presented some of its own challenges and rising interest rates. Do you think it's still a good time to invest? And have you kind of seen this before? I have not seen the rising interest rate environment. Uh, I started in 2014, but I think the best thing to do is if you don't take the shot, you won't make it. There's no chance, right? right? So, you know, so I'm just saying is like you make an offer, what makes sense for you to accomplish and gets you through the closing table. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't work, next. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. And this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe, and I'm very excited for today's show. We got two amazing people on the line with us today. We got Zach Fugman and Mahad Williams with us today. And as is tradition, we have an experienced investor and an aspiring investor on the show, and we highlight our experienced investor first. So Zach, you're up to bat first. So how are you doing today? Doing well. Been out traveling a lot of conferences, seeing you like all across the country, keep bumping into you here and there. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And it's then, nice uh, to finally get you on the podcast after all those, you know, bumping into. And like between Denver, Chicago, eventually yeah. it had to happen. Yeah. It eventually, eventually it was going to happen. But yeah, it was good seeing you. And for the listeners, you know, most recently the Chicago one was a GOB network. Denver was best ever. Great having you on the podcast finally and excited to hear more about you. Do us a favor. Tell us about yourself. So I'm Zach Fugman, uh, born and raised in Cincinnati. Uh, I joined in the oil field and I traveled around a lot. At one point, I think we did eight moves in 10 years because it was just fine to get promoted, move to another place. And at first that was fun, but later on it became uh, you know, a drag. And start having family and kids and stuff. And then uh, I got introduced into real estate when I was uh, listening to a radio show down here in Houston. I joined a mentorship program called Lifestyles Unlimited. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up doing some single family. And then I realized like the better way is multifamily. And from 2017, we closed our first deal in Slidell, Louisiana. Since then, we've done 1,500 units as the lead operator and then another 1,200 units as the uh, KP. Okay. And then I'm passive in about another 400 or so units. Okay. All right. Nice. Well, I'd like to dive into a couple of points. I like I like to talk about the transition points. You know, so you, you said you were you were in the uh, the oil and gas industry, moving around eight times in ten years. I think you actually have me beat. You know, with my my military time. What uh, you said you you joined Lifestyles Unlimited. Can you go through your decision process and what really prompted you to get into that Lifestyles Unlimited? So they have uh, case studies that they do for free to the public, mm-hmm. and I ended up watching. Um, uh, it was only a like couple minutes from my office at the time, so I ended up going and watching this uh, little lady turned 250,000 invested into one apartment into $200,000 of cash flow every year after holding it 13 years only on one property i saw the power in that and also i'd been working in the oil field with you know high pressure I was at a time was in health and safety. So I'd seen accidents happen mm-hmm. and seen people lose pieces of fingers and things of that sort. I mean, I know life can be fleeting. So I felt like, well, you know, 
this would be a nice thing to fall back on for the wife and kids. If anything should befall me, not even oil field, just, you know, yeah. bait or whatever. You know, we joined up and we got after it. Mm-hmm. Had 15 houses at one point, but realized that was just a lot of work for mm-hmm. the houses compared to only like, you know, investing in the apartments. So yeah. ended up. So let's dive in a little deeper on that one. I mean, so you started, I think most people start with single family. You said you had 15. It was a lot of work. Let's talk about the transition from single family to multifamily. You mentioned, first of all, it's a lot of work and it's a lot less work than multifamily, but can you go through what it took to move from the single family space to multifamily? Really took just a a general frustration with the, let's just say you have a 15 unit apartment complex. Mm -hmm. All your all your problems and advantages are all in one house mm-hmm. per se. But if you have fifteen uh, houses spread across Houston, which is mm-hmm. the size of some states, it can be aggravating. Yep. And uh, when one breaks and you jumping around, and we were actually weren't even living in Houston at the time. And don't get me wrong, it was we learned a ton. Mm-hmm. But we uh, and we made money, and it was it's a lot of work on the front end. But you know, at the same time, we'd have one house break a sewer line, and the cash flow from that house was doomed for two years. Yeah. You know, and like one day, I just we tried our hand at flipping, and just like you know, we were still doing the multifamily on the side. It was like okay, we need to we really need to concentrate on the multifamily because that's just mm-hmm. the time value of money is there versus the other is just. Uh, I don't want to discourage you know young people from trying to get ahead and doing some houses. Yeah. But once you realize you have the ability to move into multifamily, do it. Kind of yeah. Thing. And I, I like like how you said that. You don't want to discourage anybody, and I don't either. I think single family houses, you know, investing in single family houses is more accessible for the average person. There, there's not a big barrier to entry. It's a lot easier to buy a single family house than it is to buy an apartment complex, just because of all the other requirements that lenders put in there. That, that's just one thing. And I, I did the same thing, Zach. I, I started with a handful of single family houses. I was all across the nation, you know, houses in three states, maybe a little better, a little worse. I don't know than than having 15 in Houston, but tell you, I would rather had 15 houses than than three. I still made money, still had, you know, same types of learning lessons you had, just maybe not to the same scale. And, you know, replacing a deck took, uh, you know, almost exactly two years worth of cash flow. And we had to replace a couple of, of big big ticket items every couple of years. Anyway, yeah, so good good explanation on that. There's a lot of economies to scale there, and it really really helps. So so you started multifamily journey. Can you, can you walk us through how that how that panned out for you guys? So we had actually I got I was in Houston, and then mm-hmm. I joined the group, and then like a week later, they gave me another moving package to go to Lafayette, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And so we did that and I ended up getting a license, my uh, real uh, real estate license and dropped it in with Keller Williams, just trying to learn some extra stuff. You know, I felt like I was on an island, even though the, the education group was mostly in Texas, but I was still like trying to meet up with RIAs locally and then end up getting some access to local databases for Louisiana, ended up finding a 50 unit in Slidell, Louisiana. Mm. Me got a, made a partnership, went ahead and bought it. Mm-hmm. Funny thing is, we bought that, and the day we closed that one, I got another offer letter to move to San Antonio mm. from the company. So I signed the paperwork and then moved to San Antonio. <laughs> but it was all for the best because there was a lot of other people in the group that were there, and mm-hmm. a lot of energy in San Antonio. And 2017, we move over there and then uh, we buy our first one that we self-managed because we had to use third party on the Slido one mm-hmm. in uh, Universal City outside of San Antonio. You know, had a little bit of a rough time with the, the code enforcement and stuff mm-hmm. there. 
but we raised uh, about a million dollars. And in the end, we ended up, because the city just kept on creating code, per se, we decided to go back to the, the partnership. Let's just sell this and make a little bit of money and get out. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, while all that was going on, I ended up, I ended up looking back home with Cincinnati, started contacting brokers there. Then we closed 144 units in the town outside of Cincinnati. Then we bought the, the, the neighbor came up to us and said, hey, I always wanted to buy this one. I have these 52 hound homes, but now I don't, I can't scale up in this town. I'll sell it to you. So I ended up buying the 52 units there. And then we had 196 units. And then, you know, 2019 rolled around. We ended up buying a, another 77 unit in Northern Kentucky called City View. Mm-hmm. Kind of put me on the map with the brokers a little bit more up there. And then we ended, you know, now we, between us and partners, we have about 900 units we self-manage in Cincinnati. Then in during pandemic, the kind of the deals were got like scared and a lot of stuff happened. So it was back down in Slidell and we were getting Slidell ready to sell in 2020. The wife's like, go find a deal. So I was like, so I got on a bunch of websites and hey, look, there's a deal in Long Beach, Mississippi. I'm going to go check it out. Called the broker. He's like, is this under contract? He's like, no, it fell out of contract. The equity got uh, the guys got scared during COVID, and now it's it's free. The, it's up for sale. Mm-hmm. Looked through the deal. I was like, "Hey, this is a great deal." And I'm buying that one. And now that 128 units has turned into about 1,700 units between me and uh, other partners nice. in, throughout the state of Mississippi. Found a local partner there in the property management company, actually doing a pretty good job for us. Which it's hard to find good third party property management, but like mm-hmm. you know they. They fit the bill. And so we kept on growing together. They ended up selling some of our, uh, we ended up selling, you know, some of our, our houses just kept, yeah, we, we, that's the time we also we took advantage in 2020. Oh yeah. We sold off all our houses because mm-hmm. there was a crop, like our houses were, you know, mommy homemaker affordable. So mm-hmm. those were a huge demand. So we just kept on rolling all that money into our, our lead piece of the operating deals that we raised money for. And you know, it turned into a great thing. And here we are. And just like at now at this point, I, I'm helping more of the KP with friends to them to do deals and let them do the asset management on deals that I just don't have time to do yep. kind of thing. So, yeah. Now, K- KP, I think for a lot of people is is a newer term. Uh, can, you, can you explain what that is? It means you have the financial ability hmm. to sign on the loan and you're part of the, uh, you're part of the uh, like the asset team. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing, you're generally not when making decisions, but you are the bank can hold you accountable mm-hmm. uh, for the operations. So you know you're like the number two, but the silent number two if needed. But mm-hmm. in a lot of cases with my friends, we use my prop, we use my property management company in Cincinnati, and they just kind of like we help with the management. So the bank a lot of times comes me, but essentially it's like a co-signer. Yeah, for lack of a just plain plain man's term. So, yeah, I think I think cosigner is probably the the best way to explain it that people understand. And that's I mentioned earlier that multifamily has some barriers to entry, and one of the barriers to entry, and it it seems like a conundrum where you have to have experience to get experience. You know, you have to be an experienced operator to be able to get a loan, but you have to get a loan to be able to get into your first property. So it's one of those. Uh, one of those things where it's like, well, how do I get experience if I have to have experience to get experience? And the answer is kind of as Zach explained is you find somebody like Zach that uh, can be a key principal on your deal, 
who can bring the financials, who can bring the experience to help you get the loan and help you get your own experience. And that's that's really what the KP piece is. And that's there's a lot of people who like to do it, and there's a lot of people who will absolutely not do it. You know, if you're if you're looking for your first property, don't forget that you have to find somebody that can be a KP for you. Well, that said, let's let's talk a little bit about your your motivations. You know, so we talked we talked a little bit about you know why you kind of made the switch to to from you know, oil and gas to, to real estate and why you got into the lifestyles club. If you can go a little deeper on your motivation, what I call your big burning, why, what, what would that be? You know, a lot of times people like to be positive about this, but like I take a little darker um, mm-hmm. sometimes is that when I was in like eighth grade, like I was always this big guy that people picked on. They said mm-hmm. I was like the slow ogre kind of thing. Said I was just going to be like a taxi driver. That was one thing. And then, then like in high school, I don't know why these people would just want to like mess with me kind of thing. I don't know why you wouldn't mess with the biggest guy in school, but <laughs> okay. And I, I think it just always had doubters mm-hmm. in my life. So it's kind of, and, and I was like, well, I'm going to go earn it. Yeah. I mean, there's everybody's like, like I have the family, the kids, and that's, that's a secondary, that's half. But the other half is like kind of a big F you to a lot of the haters kind mm-hmm. of thing is really is one of my big whys. And it's, I don't know, it's, you know, some people say, well, that's not very healthy, but it's like, well, it's, it's worked for me. It motivates. It really yeah. does motivate. And I, I know a lot of people, they, they look at childhood experiences and, and a lot of people who like set up, you know, charities and funds and everything else. They're always looking at the childhood experiences they had or things that they struggled with as a kid. And that tends to be motivation for a lot of people, healthy or unhealthy. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. It works. You know, you, you had a lot of people who picked on you. You had a lot of doubters. You had a lot of people that said, Zach, you're going to be absolutely nothing. And, you know, it's like, you know what? F you guys. I'm going to. Yeah. I'm I'm going to own half the world. Here you are with, you know, I don't remember the exact number, but thousands of apartment units and uh, probably doing a lot better than most people that graduated your high school. So good on you. That's all I got to say. So good on you. Well, that said, let's talk specifically about one of the one of the units or one of the properties that you guys had. I mean, you've given kind of an overview of a couple and mentioned a few, but if you would, you pick your first or your favorite or, or most recent one that you could uh, talk a little bit more about. Okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about uh, Hampton House, which was the first deal we did in Mississippi. Okay, so there was a I'm not going to say which, but there was another syndication group's lead that had their money just drop out and like, and I feel like I took over the driver's seat and that for a lot of streak of stuff that could be happened because you missed out. Mm-hmm. And well, anyway, we went to go close this. Turns out one of the KPs had died. And mm-hmm. so Fanny made us wait 10 more days to correct some paperwork, even though the KP was deceased mm-hmm. on the seller side, because we were doing a loan assumption. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we assumed the loan. We had to sign. Uh, we had. I had to take a leap of faith and get the insurance locked up two weeks earlier because they they were getting jitters about mm-hmm. potential hurricanes because this property is like a mile and a half as a crow flies from the beach. Okay. And uh, we went ahead and paid for the insurance before closing. Mm-hmm. Five days after closing, we Hurricane Zeta came through, screwed up my roofs and siding. But we didn't lose anybody. We ended up being able to get new roofs, new siding. It's a 1995 build, but it looks now like a 2015 build <laughs> kind of thing. We've been when we started it off with the rents were probably in the mid 90s. Okay. For, for total total revenue was about 95,000 last month. We're now about 131,000. 
Nice. We did one supplemental and and we've been able to we've about we've been able two investors we've been able to return about 40% of their money in about two years. Mm-hmm. So and I mean we bought it 171 a door, it's probably worth 150 a door mm-hmm. kind of thing now, close to it. So say those um, numbers again. Do you say you bought it 171 a door or 71 a door? Oh, 71 a door. Okay. Okay. All right. I, I may have heard you wrong, but it's yeah, I might have uh, just threw a one in there by accident, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. It sounded like the price went down. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah. Are you happy about but, that? But uh, no, no. So yeah, it's, it's probably more than doubled in value mm-hmm. from the time we bought it. I mean, the, the hurricane, boom, you get like over a million dollars of rehab mm-hmm. on insurance, but it was needed. It's not like I was like, I mean, we needed new roofs and they had vinyl siding. And then we comped out versus doing going back with Hardy or vinyl. Mm-hmm. The Hardy was three hundred thousand dollars cheaper than going back with vinyl, mm-hmm. so it was a no brainer. On yeah. us. Now we have a Hardy side property, alternating colors. That's like the shining star of that area kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's good reason for everybody to be well insured, you know, because yes. when when you have that event, that type of event, you know, the insurance will co- company will come in and they'll build you a new building. If, if that's what it takes, but, you know, make sure you are well insured and uh, something we've learned is put your deductible at a reasonable level. We had a fire in one of our buildings and we had a $50,000 deductible and, you know, the entire fire rehab cost was about 70,000. And so it was just like, uh, you know, we ended up paying most of that. Another lesson learned on insurance, you know, set your deductible at a reasonable level, you know, so that if, if you do have the, the claimable item, you're not going to be losing your shirt. Thanks for, thanks for that. It sounds like you're, you've done amazingly well on that property and, you know, taking, taking this, the hurricane and I guess the, what's, what's the proverb? If, if you got lemons, you know, make lemonade out of it and done extremely well on that. So that said, last question for you before we bring the hot on, what's, what's next for you? Oh, uh, I just continuing to help lower my like friends, like do deals and like, I'll KP the ones that like, I can't do. Or like maybe, I mean, I live in Houston. People, the joke is that the joke is that I live in Houston because I travel so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I will come back and do a deal here someday, but. I'm having so much fun in the tertiary and the secondary. So we'll mm-hmm. see, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if you carved out a niche and you're, you're doing well at it, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of good reasons to keep on going down that path, but Houston's still a great, great market. It's one that I'm looking at myself. So I haven't, uh, haven't bought anything or I'm not a GP on anything in Houston, but I think very shortly that's going to change. Thanks. Thanks for sharing all that with us. And actually one last question, you say you help all your friends how do you become one of your friends? <laughs> well, like some of them invested with me. Some have worked with me multiple times. I told them to join the group. My wife's got a good, we helped her sister-in-law. She's got, my sister-in-law's got two deals mm-hmm. that we've helped her get. Nice. Yeah. There's just been throughout our history, like people believe, who did believe in us ended up like, you know, Hey, uh, you do to do a deal. Mm-hmm. I'm like, cause I like, you know, there's deals that are too small for me to go after anymore. Mm-hmm. Like for, but for them, like to get them going, it's great. I'll give them like the, the roadmap and then they they scroll down the road. Kind of yeah. Thing, so. yeah. And I, 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 I've KP'd one deal. I've been a KP on one deal and possibly we, we got two more in the pipeline right now that we're looking at. And I think you're right. They're, some of these are deals that are that are too small for me. They're still good deals. And, you know, helping other people has its own reward. But 
You also get a part of the GP, which means you also get paid for helping people. The way I look at it is, you know, it's it's the best of both worlds. As long as you as a KP can mitigate risk and make sure you're not going to lose your shirt, it's the it's the best of both worlds. But that said, we're going to shift gears and uh, we, we have Mahad Williams, who's been, you know, patiently waiting. And Mahad, you're up to bat. So how are you doing? First of all. Good. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, no worries. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast, but do us a favor and tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. My name is Mahad. I um, I live in the Bay Area, uh, Northern California. Mm-hmm. I started my my career as a barber, actually. I was a barber for 13 years. I became an electronic technician for a train system in the Bay Area called uh, BART, where I kind of work on the uh, electrical part of the trains. Mm-hmm. Pretty fun job. Mm-hmm. That, that I, uh, this is a job that I work at now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I own a duplex. I own a duplex uh, for a few years, uh, collecting rents mm-hmm. from tenants. A duplex in the Bay Area. Yeah. So that, that's basically where I live now. Okay. Kind of how I started with uh, kind of. Yeah. A duplex uh, with, in the Bay Area is like mm-hmm. a tenplex where I live if you look at pricing. So uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's not yeah, insignificant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I uh, I live here collecting rents from tenants. Found out about a mentorship mm-hmm. called uh, Multifamily Mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came to Sacramento. Kind of signed up for that. Signed up for it in September 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a member of that right now. And uh, so. yep. Yeah. And that, that's where we met. Um, so I, I've been somewhat involved with multifamily mindset. I'm not official, but they they keep on inviting me back to to speak to the the students. So I'm just very happy to meet you and, and hopefully we can we can help you get uh get your first big apartment deal along the line. So you know like I said one question that I that I ask everybody about the motivation. What is your big burning why? Oh yeah sure uh of course to get out of my W2 right uh basically to have the financial freedom that me and my wife kind of desire. Mm-hmm. to let my kids, you know, my kids look up to me, the people that look up to me, I want them to know that, you know, I can do it. They can do it. Kind of mm-hmm. teach them a new way, new avenue of how to, how, how to uh, own your own business and, mm-hmm. and, and be financially independent. And, yeah. Uh, and of course, I, I also want to be able to have the option to help less fortunate kids, help uh, less fortunate communities, uh, not mm-hmm. only in America, but in the world. Something I've I've traveled all over the world, and uh, something that I've said many times is uh, U.S. poor is middle class in most countries. You know, so it's I, I like how you say you know help the poor people all over the world because it's it's it is a problem. It's not just here in the U.S., but it's it's a much larger problem everywhere else. So very much appreciate that. And something you said just reminded me of something. I've got. Uh, kind of a unique family, I guess, you know, my, my wife and I have five kids, two of them are in their twenties and we have three of them under the age of 12, you know, so we've got a big gap between them. And you mentioned teaching your kids a better way. I, you know, I wish in a, in a way I could go back and, you know, teach my older kids and I can, it's just a little more difficult, but teach my older kids what I've learned since. And I think they're going to have a much different view on money than the kids that I have in the house growing up now, because, I've learned so much more about it. You know, I don't think it's too late for my older kids. Just, you know, they're going to have a much different experience in the house than the younger ones did. But anyway, that's, you know, beside the point, that's me, not you. And we should be talking about you, but uh, here we go. Let's, let's do this. Let's get to my favorite part of the podcast where we 
have you ask some questions. So Mahad, we got Zach on the line. What do you want to ask him? Well, sure. Uh, so Zach, um, uh, investing in multifamily in uh, 2022 has presented some of its own challenges and rising interest rates. Do you think it's still a good time to invest? And have you kind of seen this before? Uh, I've met people who have or talked about it, uh, but uh, I have not seen the rising interest rate environment. Uh, I started in 2014, but I think the best thing to do is you, you find a deal that makes sense and you don't, I mean, like the broker might give you a number. You give your number, right? Like, and if you lose, don't feel bad because, you know, you were losing when prices were going up. Well, you're losing, you'll still lose more than you win, no matter what. And, um, and I just like, you know, and you don't take, and the thing is like, there's the saying is like, you never make any of the shots. You don't, if you don't take the shot, you won't make, there's no chance. Right. So, you know, so I'm just saying is like you make an offer what makes sense for you to accomplish and gets you through the closing table. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't work, next mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree very much. I mean, we we do have high interest rates relative to the last 10 years. We don't have higher interest rates relative to the last 50. You know, if you if depending on how far you look back, if you look 50 years in the rearview mirror rates right now are are still extremely low. And um, I think the Fed today is going to announce if they're going to raise the, uh, or how much they're going to raise the federal funds rate. But, you know, we're we're all expecting the the rates to go up a little bit more, but exactly what Zach said, you know, you got to take your shot. And personally, I don't think there's a bad time to buy real estate. You just have to be, I think in times like this, where there's a little economic uncertainty, you just got to be a little more careful. And, you know, find, keep on looking at opportunities, keep on taking shots. And eventually one of the shots is going to make it. Okay. So uh, my next question would be <clears throat> uh, that I see, uh, I see you talk about self-managing um, your own properties. How hard is that? Uh, do you have, do you have kind of your own uh, property management company and, uh, Another question I kind of wanted to ask on top of that is, could you self-manage from out of state? I do self-manage from out of state. Um, I mean, the time, a lot of lenders, when I started out, required me to have third-party management. Mm-hmm. But in some, in some cases, I found that I could do the job better. And so... I ended up forcing them out anyway because a they either like miss they make the commingle funds they they weren't getting the occupancy was failing unnecessarily when the rest of the submarket was like blazing hot and I just say you know I gave them their notice to leave and I said like we'll leave friends but uh, I'm gonna take this over myself um, and then but I did that at a point where I ended up growing I felt like a comfortable I could. Do enough units on my own in a submarket. So we had about 400 units, and I just took the people back and I said, you know, they could either go to that company or I was going to hire new people. And most people just stayed with me. You know, you just have to make the best choice for you. I always suggest, like, especially if you can self manage, but like finding one of the best vendors ever is having a good third party management. So, like, you know, that helps you scale a lot too. It's been too beneficial to myself and my wife 
that we've done both. We've also been the self. We've I've been a maintenance man, kind of, and she's been a on-site manager, and so we know the daily kind of stuff that happens in an apartment. So when we go, so we know what to look for when we go there. Yeah, make, makes a lot of sense. Now, something that I've I've learned over the years, and I've talked to a lot of people in the multifamily industry, and, and Zach has said this multiple times: finding good third-party management is difficult. Almost every group that I've talked with has said the same thing. And the yeah, third-party management, some sometimes it, it gets to the point to where, you know, like like Zach is like, hey, I'm I'm gonna, I'm just gonna take this in-house, I'm gonna take control of it. And the nice part about it is a lot of people do exactly what Zach did, where you get the people who are working for the property management company to come work for you. They're doing the same job, just changing the boss. And that uh, that tends to to work for for most people. Um, you know, we did something similar ourselves, and it's it's worked out better than third party management. They they can kind of tarnish your reputation a little if they do like a, a bad job, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so uh, my next question would be uh, how how important how important uh, is having a team on your first deal? Uh, did you start out this way, or did you kind of develop a team uh, having a, your team later? On my first deal I did in with Lifestyles Unlimited, I had a, a co-signer who had already done thousand plus units, but I could always bounce things off of. And then I had a mentor I could call to. And then I also had a consultant. I had multiple mentors I could go to, but um consult and actually there's a whole network of people that were already apartment investors that I could call upon to ask about market driven on statistics or what kind of doorknob they're buying off of Home Depot or, you know, or who's, who's having, which judges are the best to use when you're going through evictions, like kind of thing, which courts or whatever you're doing. So, yeah. So I kind of had a team already. I, I kind of already worked with. Yeah. Slidell, I did pretty much like by the seat of my pants, but it worked out. When you say by the by the seat of the, your pants, were you the only one involved, or was no, I had two KPs, but they didn't know anything about uh, multifamily either. But they had lots of real estate experience in Lafayette. So, but the net worth was, you know, this was 2017. Mm-hmm. So there was a little bit more leniency mm-hmm. with the lending. But um, we had we had the education too from LA Styles, and we could call people and ask questions but you know uh yeah that was kind of like got some friends together let's go do this and mm-hmm. you know it was 40 a door kind of deal and we sold it for like we bought it for like two million and we sold it for like 3.2 four years later it, and we ended up t- that's one where we we kicked you're asked about tarnish situation we kicked that property management out and they're mad and they're going around dogging us to all the other people but they ended up contractors ended up coming to us anyway mm-hmm. and people thought we were awesome so, I mean, Mahad, you're asking about, you know, partners and building the team up front. You know, I, I, I go back and forth on it. I mean, you, you have to, you have to have a team and you have to know them pretty well, but on the flip side, what, what I've learned is, you know, you, you never know how good partners are going to be until you become partners with them. So I, I would say, if you're if you're trying to get into the industry, find something small and manageable, and test drive it with a couple of partners. You know, find find a couple of partners, and I mean, you're you're involved in a group. You know, I've got a group of my own, the, the Tribe of Titans, but find people in the group that you're in 
that you can partner with and test drive it on a smaller property, you know? So instead of, you know, buying 150 units and, you know, raising eight to $10 million, buy a 20 unit where you can come in with, you know, minimal investors, test drive the partnership, you know, learn from that first property and then scale from there. And I think that's probably, probably the better option in my mind after having talked to, you know, a lot, a lot of people, you know, both on this podcast and in, in other conversations about how they started. Yeah. Like my, uh, my main guy who helped me get going KP on stuff, uh, Eric, he, he, uh, I got him to do an 11 unit cause he was very nervous about using other people's money mm-hmm. and this 11 unit, Eric could buy out all the partners if he felt like it was going to crap if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I let him get all his nervous energy out of that. And since then he got that done. He he's bought two other properties. Then was a, one was an $8 million deal. And the next one was a $26 million deal. Yeah. yeah. So start, start small, think big, but then you'll end up building people's trust. And stuff. Yeah. And yeah, build you build trust with, with, with investors, you build trust with vendors, operators, property managers, and the partners in your deal as well. And that's, that's really the, the idea, you know, and I, I've said this many times before, it, sometimes it's better to start small so you can eventually go big. Okay. Uh, so I do have one more question. I know you said that you sponsor a lot of your friends, but I had a question on sponsorship. Well, I see a lot of aspiring investors uh, sending in LOIs without sponsor support. Uh, as a sponsor yourself, how soon in the process do you like to be notified about an upcoming deal? I usually can tell somebody by location, if it's even something I'm even going to talk about mm-hmm. even, uh, to start. Right. So I've been, there's multiple times I've been asked and I just like, you know, they said that even the name of the city and I was like, no, thanks. Yeah. You need to, if you're going to have sponsors work with you and you, they need to know what you're like attacking really early on. I can tell you right now, there is also some people that have some co-GPs that are not coming to the plate right now. And there's going to be some some tears and some beers in the next, you know, over the next month for some people that are not going to be able to close some bigger deals and losing some earnest monies. Yeah, as far as timing, as early as possible, the one deal that I did KP, I met the individuals two days before their due diligence contingency expired. They were two days away from hard money. And it was a it was a big risk for them because I, I told them flat out, I'm like, I'm not going to make a decision on this in, in two days. You know, I just met you guys. I haven't had a chance to really review the property. I'm not going to make a decision in two days. So what I what I promise you is, you know, I, I will you know, get to know you guys better and I will make a decision. The The risk of waiting too long is, you know, you may lose your earnest money or you may have to pull out before a KP, you know, decides to to sponsor your deal. So that that was one case. Um, and on, on the complete other end, you know, if, if you start coming to sponsor without deals, you know, there, there's only so much time they're going to, you know, devote to you. It's kind of one of these things where, I would say, you know, reach out to sponsors, try to start building relations, try to keep in touch the best you can. And then as far as deals, I would say right around LOI time is is the best time to get into deals. Hey, Mr. Sponsor, Miss Sponsor, I'm going to put an LOI in on this property. If, if you're if you're interested in sponsoring it, you know, I'd love to have a, a chat with you. That, that's, that's where I think is probably the better time is, is when you're putting in an LOI. 
and that signals to the sponsor that you're you're active, you're you're looking for deals, and there's there's a potential there. Anyway, we are out of time. So thanks very much to both of you for coming on the podcast today. Very much appreciate it. And so last question for each of you, how can listeners learn more about you? Zach, you need to go first. Yeah, this is um, Zach Kugman, also on LinkedIn, Facebook, or uh, A Strategy Management. You can look us up there too. Mm-hmm. Me and my wife there. That's the best way to get a hold of us. Awesome. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Mahad, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? Well, there it is there. <laughs> uh, M-A-A-T, Family Investment Group at gmail.com. Uh, I can, so I can be reached on Gmail. Uh, mm-hmm. Facebook, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a pretty good one, especially for business. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Mahad Williams, M-A-H-A-D Williams. All right. Sounds and, good. We'll uh, put- We'll put links to, to all of those in the show notes as well. So anybody mm-hmm. listening, if if you're looking at contacting either of these two gentlemen, just check out the show notes, You know, scroll down there, tap, and that internet thing will whisk you away to their, their contact. Appreciate your, your time again. And that's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.